Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so delighted today to be joined by the always wonderful Billy Crudup to talk all about Apple TV Plus's The Morning Show. And obviously in making the second season, the beauty of any character that you get to carry for this long is that the beginning of the process is really about building the foundational elements, building the backstory and figuring out who they are. Um, and then in this season, there's so many great opportunities to see, well, who is Corey as a character when he gets everything that he's wanted? You know, what's kind of the devil's deal that he's made that he didn't even know he was making at the time and how does he respond to all these situations now that instead of rallying against the system he is part of the system so I was interested in how as a performer that really allows you to take a character that you spent so much time building up those foundational elements of and then almost distilling down to like the different responses as you look through the scripts and as you find these different external circumstances in figuring out how he's going to respond to each of them. That's a phenomenal question and a perfect question for Corey too, because he's so elusive in the first season. And part of the excitement at playing the part was trying to uncover what were somewhat um, unknowable motivations. And his, the, the way in which he interacted with the fellow members of his company and the uh, other characters that occupy the morning show was not like the way that other characters related to one another. So there was a great deal of sleuthing going around. Uh, Carrie Aaron had all the answers because she's the one who created him. So it was like a slowly evolving and exciting journey to find somebody who was so uh, uh, difficult to understand, but so interesting to try to follow because he had such a facile mind and was seemed to be curious about the world that he was inhabiting. So to then uh, move to the second season where he's got a vested interest in the things that maybe, maybe didn't seem quite tied to before. There's an aspect of it that like takes his superpowers away. And Carrie and I talked about that uh, uh, quite a lot. She was uh, describing him somewhat as like Pinocchio as becomes a real boy. And um, there, there, is both an agony in relinquishing the mystery of him and a thrill at creating uh, a person with more dimensions than I had sort of anticipated or more, more dimensions that would be of interest to the show. So that, that aspect of it in the second season was, um, I've never done a TV show for two seasons before. And uh Typically, when you get a script, you have an idea of what part of the story your character occupies. So you can take them from the beginning to the end. So to be in the midst of something that you feel in control of and excited about for specific reasons and have it upended in that way was really great creative challenge. And uh, I loved it. And with the, that idea of the different dimensions as well, you know, with with any two people in any situation or any characters, there's always different versions of the truth. And with Corey in particular, that feels so extensively true because there's the truth as it presents itself in the world. And then there's the, the truth that Corey consistently tells himself, which is often very different. Um, but what was great is that in this season, we got the chance to see what happens when those two worlds collide, you know, especially when he, he hands over the news story about Bradley, um, you know, and he feels like he's doing the right thing in preservation of Hannah's memory. 
but at the same time, he then ultimately has to face these two truths colliding. Um, and so I was interested in how you kind of always get to play that that duality of the truth that he creates for himself, the world that he's able to concoct in his mind and, and how he exists within that ecosystem. And then, you know, what it was like to be able to play it coming into the real world a little bit more for him. It's a great question. That I suppose that that's true of all of us in terms of the story that we tell uh, uh, ourselves about who we are in the world and what motivates us and what are the foundations of our moral, spiritual ethics and how um, does our behavior reflect those principles. And for Corey, because he seems to be such an agent of capitalism, like purely an agent of capitalism, you can't complain about somebody behaving that way when the system is set up for people like that. So if we live in a country that applauds people who can manage the complexities of business interactions in such a way to become profitable, why aren't they then just totally accepted for their ability to manipulate a system in their own favor, if that's what we're asking. And so Corey, therefore, has a very simple motivation, which is to make money. And the way in which he accumulates wealth and status and power is an expression of his capability at uh, managing those principles. So when something interferes with that for instance, an emotional connection with someone, him trying to find language for success in an interpersonal relationship was one of the really entertaining things for me in playing Corey this season because he simply has um, the language that he has for capitalism is so extensive that people can't follow it. The people that he surrounds himself with are constantly either delighted or baffled by whatever's going on with him because of his ability to be expressive in, in that particular motivation. But when it comes to relationships, I think he himself doesn't understand the language that goes into the feelings that, uh, that are... are churning within him and so to see those two things happening at once on the page makes for a very exciting thing to try to make manifest when when we're actually shooting and i think you don't really see the particulars of it until the final episode when he tries to articulate uh what seems to be an elusive feeling within him about another person and th that when, when I read that scene, it, it sort of retroactively informed the entire season for me, uh, which, which was great because Carrie was the one who had been organizing and orchestrating it the entire time. And I think she knew very clearly where she was going with it. And uh, so I was grateful to arrive at an end that I could understand as well. And with that idea that he he doesn't have the language to express himself in that way, you know, that tells us that this is something that's an anomaly for him to even have these feelings and try to figure out how to process it. And I was very curious if you think about him as a character who has a lot of loneliness inside of him and whether that even matters to him. You know, there's that great speech that he gives to Stella in the elevator where he's like, you know, it doesn't matter how I am, you know, and he's such a company man. He's like, the company owns you. You know, that's what he lives and dies for. And especially with UBA becoming 
more of a global conglomerate, you know, this guy probably hasn't slept in the last year at all either. And so you imagine that he's he's got very few facets of life outside of his job. And and so do you think he's lonely and do you think it matters to him? Because this is a persona that he's been concocting for himself since childhood where he planned to be in this position. Well, I, the phrase that came to mind while you were um, uh, asking that question was, it's hard to be a romantic capitalist. He is fixated on this journey. In fact, when we first started to discuss what his apartment might look like, because we, we at, at the beginning of the season, it wasn't clear whether or not he was going to stay at the hotel or have an apartment for himself. My suggestion was he should have a mattress on the floor and a whole bunch of books, and that's it. He lives a kind of monkish lifestyle. And if he gets two, three hours a night, he's good. He exercises, he's focused, he's mentally as acute as any character I think I've ever played, and, or, or, or as acutely realized uh, intellectually as any character I've ever played. And the challenge of being that good at something is that the other features of your life uh, fade away and you can be uh, um, not just surprised. It's not quite, not, it's not the quite, quite the right word for it, but haunted by simple feelings that most people typically have to manage in their life. They do a number of different things to get through the day. They have friendships, they have uh, family, they have romantic interests, uh, they vote, they think about uh, their community, um, they have some sort of faith, they have, uh, they're involved with work, all of those disparate things. Uh, you do well enough at each of them and you're a functioning adult. Like that's a normal way. <clears throat> it's a normal way for most people to encounter the world. Corey has decided to specialize. And I think you'll find this with a lot of people who are highly ambitious and uh, very successful is it's very difficult for them to maintain all the features of their life. So they allow parts of them to, to, to drop away like friendships, like uh, relationships, maybe their family, um, maybe their faith, maybe their health. You know, there's a, a myriad of different things that you can leave by the wayside while you're struggling to perform at an expert level at a very difficult thing. And uh, so for Corey, you get to, to see in the second season how infantile he is in other aspects of his complexity, his humanity. And the contrast of those two things, this expert ability at one thing and this novice ability at something that is so common for most people. I, I, to me, I found um, it charming. I thought that was a, a lovely approach to somebody who occupies such a, a difficult position. Most of us would consider the idea of a CEO of a multinational media company a difficult position. And I think for Corey, that's the easy part. Even the struggles that UBA Plus is having are, are probably more entertaining than consequential. It's the, it's the emotional ties that have now bound him to this company, bound him uh, to the hopes of the success for Bradley and the 
attempt to preserve Hannah's um, uh, memory have, have, have contorted his ability to do the thing that he knows how to, you know, do while he sleeps. And that's fat. That's fascinating and fun as a, um, as an actor and a performer, you pray for these kinds of roles. They don't happen very often. And when they do, you're not the one who gets them. So when you do, it is so exhilarating. And uh, I suppose that that's the thing that I take away from both seasons the most is this opportunity to collaborate with these people and on such an interesting character and try to work at such a, a high level at a piece of material that is aspiring for so much is it's more than lucky. It's more than good fortune. It's like a once in a lifetime opportunity. And, and with the mental acuteness that you were talking about within him and what you were saying earlier about, you know, the, the, the dialogue that he delivers and the things that he says, kind of everybody else runs into a bit of a wall with it because he's so far ahead of them. Is that where you also, in terms of performance in scenes, find a lot of that pace and delivery? Because I know in season one, you mentioned that the, the monologues, you know, being pages long were one of the challenging aspects of, of this character. And it was and the challenging. It was impossible. <laughs> have you found more of an adeptness with it in the season? No, or is it no, still the same? <laughs> no, it's just grinding hard work. I mean, that if I if I could, um, the, the the exciting part is on the day to try to make it appear as though those ideas are coming to him in real time, and that my brain is functioning at the level that his brain is and the way that i go about that is weeks and weeks of grinding like just um from an actor's perspective one of the things that you one of the ways that you could describe it is text analysis and you you read these speeches over and over and over again and try to map your way through what's happening in his mind that and what you find is that Carrie and the team of writers have written a person who thinks in paragraphs. An idea occurs to them that is highly complex and um, probably prescient in some way that it, it may, makes it exciting for him to express it to somebody. And he's able to not only arrive at that idea in real time, but articulate it to the person that he's talking to in a motivated way that that's um really hard to write it, it it typically can come off as sanctimonious can come off as uh bombastic as um and what they've written is somebody who's actually that like deeply invested in the world that he he, he occupies uba at this moment in his life is his entire world and he has got a tremendous amount of uh, brain power and motivation to navigate it. So we get to see a, an expert in an expert situation. And since I am not, uh, the way I go about manifesting that expertise is uh, just just repetitive, grinding, hard, like pull your hair, hair out work. And then on the day, try to... Um, <clears throat> Do, do my high wire act um, with with uh, such an incredible uh, cast uh, and and, um, and crew um, 
it's it's kind of hard to talk about the second season without mentioning the enormous effort that the crew put in in trying to operate under covid uh uh in 2020 what's I, I suppose when we started uh tw- um yeah is that right what year are we in now is we're in, it i know <laughs> we're in 2022 yeah. i think you started filming so we started october of 2020 exactly and then you paused for a bit right that's right we paused yeah. for a bit the, i i think of our our camera operator and our focus uh puller bela and gunner at, in these in, like you know the n95 masks Carrying a 60 pound, you know, steady cam on these long, incredibly ornate design shots that Mimi had, you know, um, uh, created the work without a mask is. It's incredible when it works. So th- for the entire crew to operate under uh, this kind of uh, pressure and these obstacles, uh, what it was miraculous. And I confess as somebody who was here in New York when it started and um, uh, like so many other people in the world, it was unnerved by the um, way in which we had to go about the minutia of our lives to be at work was such a, um, a welcome reprieve to be able to um, you know, be with like the other creative collaborators working on the show that, it, it was um, incredibly, uh, there was great, great good fortune there. And the people who are the ones who did the heavy lifting was the crew. So I, I just wanted to say that. <laughs> I I, re- I really love that and and I also love that you're bringing up you know what it takes for the camera department to establish those shots because Mimi's directing on the show is really astonishing and visually the way that she's telling the story um, and I'm interested in how that impacts you and the way that you're filming scenes because you take all these scenes throughout the show and and they don't end where they typically would. They're, you're not ending and then cutting to the next moment and moving to another room. We're following the story into the next room, into the next character. Um, and so, so how does that influence the way that you're working on a lot of these scenes where- the pressure. Because <laughs> sometimes as well, you're kind of, you're existing in the ecosystem of the background, you're coming into the foreground yeah. and then your character is still existing in another space while the scene's still continuing. Well, it's a great point. What she has created for the audience is a, a, a living, breathing network. And so you, you have, an awareness as a viewer that there's a whole other world happening in, at the same time and the camera could shift at any point. And there will be something of interest happening with another character just adjacent to the one that you're watching there. That it is kind of uh, the miracles of one of the miracles of what they've done with the morning show. And the people who are the backbone of that are the uh, camera and sound department. It, it's uh, the, I mean, we've got incredible design obviously the uh, across the board and um there's there's no shortage in any single department for support uh with the morning show but the actual functioning like mechanism of making it during covid this was pre-vaccine as well was uh herculean by the people who were on set trying to manage these very complicated moves and coordinating them with uh, such dexterity while, while, you know, having these uh, incredible obstacles. 
Um, it, you know, for the, the cast as well, there's a different kind of, uh, pressure, which is one of the things that we attempt actor as actors typically is to, um, hide our self-consciousness, because uh, it's not really interesting to see an actor be terribly self-conscious. You want to watch the character work. And working under COVID protocols meant that you needed to be incredibly self-conscious about where your hands are, about how close you are to people who are not in the same screening zone, about um, uh, uh, well, <laughs> every single feature of it. Like, so I, I guess what I, I, I drifted off there for a second, remembering being there without a mask, going through a monologue, and there's a camera, and then an army of masked people sweating their way through something, none of which you can see. Uh, and so the, the, the seeing the face of the pandemic sort of behind you and uh, pretending as though it, it, uh, it is not um, a feature of your life as well was one of the, the feats, I think, for the entire cast. I thought there was some comfort that came from uh, when the, the actual storyline began to introduce COVID because we the, the characters then felt the same level of, of responsibility that we had felt maybe a year before or six months before. But it, it, it was one of the memorable features of making this this year. And when it comes to, to playing Corey as a character, there's this great duality in the fact that a lot of his emotions and his responses to things live on the surface. You know, he's not someone who's shy to say something out loud that everybody's thinking or even not thinking in the room. And at the same time, from everything that you were saying earlier, there is this whole other side of him that's that's very suppressed. And there's times where, you know, he seems like someone who knows when he needs to hold things back and keep them inside. And, you know, the the episode where Steve Carell's character, Mitch, has has passed away and they're trying to confirm whether his death has happened or not um and all of the details of that is a great example you know he really doesn't allow any expression and actually that's a very kind of quiet and still episode for you to the point where you have chip vomiting in front of him and Corey's just continuing business as usual but then equally he can turn around and you know deliver those monologues that you were talking about and so how do you kind of enjoy playing to that duality of everything that's just bubbling out over the surface but then finding the aspects that are more restrained and internalized with him well first of all uh, thinking of mark's brilliant choice uh and i remember him presenting it on the day it, it, that was phenomenal to watch and be uh be a part of uh and mark has had no shortage of incredible choices and um the way that he executes uh the, his performances chip is just masterful. And uh, I, it's worth noting that he brings to the table things like that, that are so uh, surprising and uh, work so well in the narrative and then executes them with the dexterity that he does. I suppose for me, when Corey's quiet, when he's still, that's an exciting time for, me playing him because the my imagination is running wild and what Corey feels very capable of what the writers have given him the uh um sort of agency to to um uh put on display 
is this social calculus, this ability to watch people in real time and see which way they're leaning on any one issue and guide them towards the response that he's looking for. So when things are beginning to become unmanageable and untenable at UBA, it's a great time that I'm creatively extremely um, uh, excited and exhilarated by playing. So those moments of stillness and the moments, they, they start in the very first um, uh, scene of the first season. You know, they may have been truncated some in the cut, but it was really all about him listening to Alex on the phone the first time uh, the, uh, the, the first scene where he's trying to figure out whether or not she can manage the transition post Mitch on the day that it's happening. And he's new to the job and they've maintained that, uh, uh, that way of being that characteristic of him throughout, despite the circumstances around him changing dramatically. So uh, I suppose the, the answer is, I, I guess I like those more than I like the monologues. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so much fun to be present in the moment as, you know, the person in the position of power um, than to try and keep up with him and the way that he uh, verbally attacks the world. Well, I think that that duality and all those different layers that you bring into the performance is what makes it such a joy to to watch you on the show. So thank you so much for for talking all about this. Really appreciate it, Billy. Thank you so much for uh, giving me the time. I, I appreciate it.